The Lord be with you. So today we celebrate the Holy Trinity, which is about as confusing a divine mystery as there is. On the simplest terms, I've got a, a graphic for you here, which explains that the Holy Trinity means that there is God the Father, who is fully God, but who is not the Son, and yet the Son is also fully God, and the Father and the Son are not the Holy Spirit, and yet the Holy Spirit is also fully God. Now, I know it's confusing, so I want you to have one takeaway from today's sermon, and it's this. God exists as relationships, yeah? Relationships between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God exists as relationships, and we who are made in God's image exist as relationships also. From here on out, it's going to get a little more technical and more tragic, so hold on to that. God exists as relationships, and so do you. We as a church, on a very superficial level, have structured ourselves on the Holy Trinity. You see, our church, as a national church, we call it church-wide, our church-wide denomination, we say, is fully the church, but that church-wide denomination is not the same as our local congregation, and yet we say that our local congregation is also fully the church. And we say that in addition to our national denomination and our local congregation, there is something else called a synod. You can think of a synod as a geographic region, roughly the equivalent of a state. Our synod is called the Sierra Pacific Synod, and it stretches basically from Bakersfield to Oregon and includes half of northern Nevada. It's a big chunk of territory. Our synod is also fully the church, even though it is not the national denomination and it's not our local congregation. How you doing so far? Yeah, it's a little fuzzy. Okay, here's the thing though. Our church exists as relationships, but I am here to tell you today that the relationships that comprise our church are broken. They are hurting. And for you to understand why that is, I'm gonna tell you a story. And for that story, you need to understand a few of the characters involved. So for each of these expressions of the church, our national denomination, your local congregation, and our synod, there is a pastor who is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the community. Here in your local congregation, that pastor is this guy. <laughs> for our church-wide expression, our national denomination, we have something called a presiding bishop. Our presiding bishop is a woman named Elizabeth Eaton. And here in our local Sierra Pacific Synod, there is a bishop, or I should say there was a bishop until last week, whose name is Megan Rohr. Now, Megan Rohr is the first ever trans person to be elected bishop in any major Christian denomination. We elected Bishop Rohr just over a year ago. They identify as non-binary, and so they use they and them pronouns. So if you hear me referring to them, I'm referring to Bishop Megan, okay? We can take down the slide now. So a year ago, we elected Megan as bishop because when we gathered as a synod, we were presented with many candidates to be bishop pastors from all over the country, but Bishop Megan has an incredible gift for preaching. Bishop Megan is, in fact, a national celebrity 
You might have seen them on the TV show Queer Eye, in which they were brought forward as a consultant to give encouragement to a Lutheran pastor who needed a makeover on that show. Bishop Megan also is a repeated guest on Good Morning America, where they give little 30-second spiritual pick-me-ups to start your day. They have a huge social media following, and they have inspired people around the country to know Jesus' love and radical welcome for them. And so when we heard them preach, our synod said, we want that person to be our bishop. But here's the thing. When Megan was elected bishop, they inherited a situation. And the situation is this, that in Stockton, no, in Lodi, excuse me, in Lodi, there was a congregation that was a combination of a, an English-speaking congregation and a Spanish-speaking congregation. And the pastor of that Spanish-speaking congregation is, was a man named Pastor Rabel Gonzalez. I'll call him Pastor Nelson from now. Uh, a Puerto Rican-American. And the previous bishop had gotten over a dozen accusations against Pastor Nelson of abuse. Not sexual abuse, not physical abuse, but verbal abuse, essentially berating people, flying off the handle, just intimidating people and making them feel small and defenseless. And so the, the English-speaking congregation that had called Pastor Nelson to be their pastor to the Spanish-speaking Latino community asked Pastor Nelson to leave. And he's quick to tell you that their timing also coincided with his involvement in the Black Lives Matter movement. And he thinks maybe it has more to do with that than these accusations of harassment. But I cannot be the judge of that. What I know is that the previous bishop said, okay, Pastor Nelson, this congregation wants you to leave. Why don't you take that Spanish-speaking congregation, that community that you are serving, and go down the road a few miles to Stockton? And there you can set up shop as a new congregation. And this congregation is called Mission Latina Luterana. Mission Latina Lutheran. Um, but the difference is this new congregation will be a church plant. And for our story, that matters because church plants have much less autonomy than a congregation like ours. Our congregation has a council and a, a constitution, and I, as the pastor, am answerable primarily to the council and you all as a congregation. A mission start, a mission plant, a church plant, it doesn't have a constitution yet. They haven't formally organized. And so they don't have a council, which means that the pastor works directly for the synod and not for the local congregation. It means the pastor is paid by the synod. It means that community gets its funding primarily from the synod. Now here's the thing. When Bishop Megan became bishop, they continued to receive reports of Pastor Nelson harassing people verbally. And so the bishop had a choice. They could either initiate what's called discipline, which involves investigation and a trial, or they could say, hey, it sounds like maybe you've got an anger problem, you should go to therapy. And so what the bishop said to Pastor Nelson is go to therapy. If you go to therapy and you stick with therapy, you know, maybe we can continue to make this work. And so Pastor Nelson went to therapy for several months. 
But then on December 9th, 2021, Pastor Nelson tweeted, or texted Bishop Megan saying, I'm not going to go to therapy anymore. I have, to, I have to like streamline the story somewhat, so I'm not going to go into all the details of why, but there's more to this story. But let's just say for now, he says, I'm not going to therapy. December 9th, that happens. On December 11th, the Synod Council meets, and our bishop says to the Synod Council, Pastor Nelson is refusing to go to therapy. That's the condition for him continuing as the pastor of this congregation. He's not meeting that condition. We need to remove him as pastor of that congregation. The Synod Council says, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Our church body nationally says to bishops, if you see a pastor that's misbehaving, you got to remove them as soon as possible, once you've decided they needed to be removed. Do it before the next Sunday. So December 11th is a Saturday. The next Sunday is the next day, and the next day is December 12th. For those of you who are not Mexican-American like I am, let me tell you that December 12th is the festival of the Virgin of Guadalupe. In terms of the Mexican-American community, the Latino community here in the United States, right, the holiest days in the church year are Good Friday, Christmas, and the Virgin of Guadalupe's festival. I served a Spanish-speaking congregation in New York and Brooklyn. When I separated from my former wife, we did so in mid-November. I came uh, a week later to my council, and I said, at some point, I need to tell the congregation this is happening. But I said to my own council, I am going to wait until after the festival of the Virgin of Guadalupe to tell the congregation I'm getting divorced because nothing can take precedence over that day. The bishop did not make that choice. On December 12th, our bishop showed up to this congregation, and before service started, the bishop removed Pastor Nelson as the pastor from this congregation, and instantly word started to spread about what a fiasco this was, because having removed Pastor Nelson as the pastor of this congregation, the congregation showed up to worship for one of their most sacred days of the year, and they had pulled out all the stops to make this a fantastic worship service. A guest mariachi band had showed up, a guest dance troupe of Aztec dancers had showed up. They were going to do a vaccination clinic that day, and everyone's coming up, and they're like, all right, we're here to set up. Where do we do? What's happening in the service? And there's no pastor. Instead, what there is is a bishop who doesn't speak Spanish, who's brought two assistants, one of whom does speak Spanish and is a pastor, a pastor named Hazel, and the bishop says to Pastor Hazel, okay, you run the service, you preach, but don't tell them why their pastor's not here. Halfway through the service, the congregation starts to say, where is our, like, why is our pastor? Can you imagine showing up on Easter and I'm not here? And there's like a bishop and an assistant and they won't tell you where I am? Halfway through the service, the congregation takes the image of the Virgin of Guadalupe and they process out of the church. They walk a mile and a half to another building where they know they'll be welcome and they say, if the bishop has taken away our pastor, they cannot take away our celebration. We are going to go celebrate in a place where we know we are safe and welcome. And that's what they did. Now, God exists as relationship. We exist as relationships. 
And relationships are hard, there is no doubt about it. Nearly everything that's written in the Bible is written about how to be in relationship either with God or with each other. And Martin Luther, in his small catechism, he talks about the commandment to not bear false witness. And he says to not bear false witness means when you see your neighbor doing something, you interpret your neighbor's actions in the best possible light. You think, well, maybe what they're doing is shady, but is there anything good I can, I can think about why they would have done that? And so when I heard about our, our bishop doing this, I said, well, okay, I gotta, how can I see this in the best possible light? And I said, okay, Megan is young. They're a new bishop. They probably don't understand the cultural importance of the Festival of the Virgin of Guadalupe. I say, look, as we as Lutherans, we say everyone is simultaneously a sinner and a saint. No one is perfect. That's why we all need God's grace. I said, this was profoundly tragic. They made a hard choice. Maybe it was the wrong one. They will learn from this. You better believe they're going to learn from this. And so I was willing to leave it there. But stories started to circulate. Stories started to come out saying things like, the bishop wasn't actually providing another pastor for this community. There wasn't any support for this congregation after the previous pastor had been removed. The assistant to the bishop, Pastor Hazel, who had been the one to actually deliver the news and try to lead that service, came out with a statement saying that she had repeatedly told the bishop ahead of time, don't do this, wait one more day. And the bishop had said, nope, I'm the bishop, it's my choice, I don't have to listen to you, stop talking. And then when Pastor Hazel said after all this that, they, that she was traumatized, Hazel said, look, I, I need to take some time off to like make sense of all this. And the bishop said, okay, well, you haven't been working here for three months yet, so you don't have any sick leave or paid time off. You can go on leave, but you're not going to get paid and you're not going to get benefits. And at this point, around the country, people started to get concerned. They're saying, what is going on in the Sierra Pacific Synod? And local congregations started pressuring bishops in other parts of the country, and those bishops started putting pressure on our national bishop, our presiding bishop, Elizabeth Eaton. And here's the thing, I told you, um, on a superficial level, our denomination is modeled after the Trinity. I say on a superficial level, because we hear Jesus today talk about how everything that the Father has is given to him as the Son, and how everything that he has as the Son, he gives to the Holy Spirit, how everything that the Holy Spirit has received from God the Father and God the Son, the Holy Spirit gives to us to say the Holy Spirit or the Trinity exists as this incredible self-emptying relationship where each person in the Trinity gives everything they have to the next person. And eventually we receive all that goodness and blessing. But to say our denomination does not work that way, right? To say our congregation, we strive to give 10% of uh, what we receive to our, our synod, and our synod gives maybe 40% to the national denomination, and that's, that's about as much of a relationship we, as we have going that way. In terms of the other way, you know, the national denomination will make new hymnals for us every couple decades. Um, they'll organize things like Lutheran disaster response. Uh, the Synod organizes things like uh, our seminary in Berkeley, or there's a, a Lutheran university 
uh, down in Southern California. They organized Lutheran summer camps and that sort of thing. And to say for the most part, there's not much more direct interaction between these expressions of the church until something disastrous happens. At which point, a bishop can step into a congregation or the presiding bishop can step in and remove a bishop. Never in the history of our congregation or our denomination has a bishop been removed by the presiding bishop. Bishops have resigned, but never once has a presiding bishop removed a bishop. And remember, the only reason that the bishop could remove Pastor Nelson in the way that they did is because Pastor Nelson didn't serve a fully organized congregation. Pastor Nelson served a church plant, and so he worked directly for the synod. So the presiding bishop is getting all this pressure to do something about our local bishop, Megan. Presiding bishop says, I don't have the power to do anything about this, but I will gladly issue, uh, send a team of folks to listen and see what's happening in your synod. So three people spend a couple months listening, interviewing folks in our synod about what's going on. And two weeks ago, they give a report to our presiding bishop. The presiding bishop doesn't release the report. The presiding bishop says, I've read the report. There is nothing in this report that would automatically cause discipline charges to be brought against Bishop Megan. However, it is clear to me that Bishop Megan has lost the trust of their synod, and so I am publicly calling on Bishop Megan to resign. Megan did not resign. And so the team that put together that report said, Presiding Bishop, you have to release the report. People need to know what's in there. And so a week ago they did. Just over a week ago they did. And what's in the report is not just what I've told you about the bishop going uh, to the congregation on the Festival of the Virgin of Guadalupe. What's also in the report is that our bishop showed up to that congregation wearing a bulletproof vest. But they didn't give bulletproof vests to their assistants. What's also in that report is that before the worship service started, there was a 10-year-old girl who was going to be an acolyte for that service, and she was getting ready for the service with her dad, and her dad kept pressuring the bishop, where is our pastor? Demanding to know where is our pastor until the bishop threatened to call the police on that father and his 10-year-old daughter. What else is in the report is that when the congregation became agitated and started demanding of Pastor Hazel, where is our pastor? The bishop, admittedly, they can't speak Spanish, but instead of standing beside their assistant, they went to the Sunday school and played with the kids and left their assistant to take all the heat. What came out in that report is the bishop told the rest of us in the synod that they were going to take care of that congregation, but from that day forward... No more funding was given to the church. No other pastor was provided. That congregation has met for months in a church parking lot because they don't have a building. What came out in that report is that when the people of that congregation said, Bishop, what did our pastor do that was so bad? We're worried. Did he abuse our kids? Did he, you know, molest someone? The bishop said, I'm not going to tell you. I want to protect the innocent, and so I'm not going to tell you anything. Just know that it's bad enough that he had to be removed. And so the congregation was terrified, imagining the worst. This report came out just over a week ago. Last week, 
our synod had an assembly. I attended, our staff, Danny and Luke, attended, our council president, Cindy Camp, attended, a retired pastor in our congregation, Don Hines, we attended. Normally, a synod assembly is a chance for these congregations from Bakersfield to the Oregon border in northern Nevada. We come together and we celebrate how good it is to be the church together. This year, the synod assembly was three days of a parliamentary fight to try to remove our bishop. People made beautiful speeches in the midst of that fight. I mean, there was a lot of dumb things too, but there was beautiful speeches as well. And some of the folks said to the bishop, Bishop, you have incredible gifts for ministry. You are such a talented public speaker and preacher. There is a place for you in our church, but it can't be as our bishop anymore. Please resign, bishop. Cindy Camp, our council president, stood up and said, Bishop, there are many ways to love. Cindy said, my husband and I, we were married for decades. We ended our marriage. We settled our divorce in two hours. Please resign, Bishop, so that we can love you in a new way. Our Bishop did not resign. And so eventually we called a vote to try to remove the Bishop. 57% of our synod voted to remove the Bishop, but it requires 67 to actually do it. And in the midst of this, on full display for everyone to see, our bishop was chewing out their staff, berating their staff, making them break down in tears on a daily basis, sometimes on like an hourly basis. Our presiding bishop, Elizabeth Eaton, came to this assembly. She didn't say much, but she watched a lot. And at the end of the assembly that night, she announced publicly that she was going to bring disciplinary charges against Bishop Megan. Two days later, Bishop Megan announced that they were resigning. God exists as relationships. And so do we. And relationships are hard. Luther tells us to not bear false witness is to interpret our neighbor's actions in the best possible light. As I look at Bishop Megan, I want to try to interpret their actions in the best possible light, and the best I can do is this. I know, because I have been told, that their greatest fear from the moment that they were elected bishop is that they would be removed as bishop because they are trans. This has been a fear that has driven them their entire time in office. And it has become clear to me that out of a fear of being removed as bishop, they did everything in their power to protect themselves. They tried to protect themselves legally. They tried to protect themselves physically. And they tried to protect themselves emotionally. But here's the thing. Relationships, they make us vulnerable. To love someone means that it allows that person to hurt you. It means you care about them on such a deep level that if they hurt, you hurt. It means you care about them so much that if they get mad at you, it hurts you. And here's the thing, there's a difference 
between harm and pain, right? If I stick my hand in this fire, the fire is going to burn my hand, and my brain is going to tell me, ow, that hurts, that's painful. Now, it's possible for my brain to stop sending that message. It's possible for the pain to stop, but the fire to still destroy my hand, yeah? Harm and pain are two different things. Harm is what destroys us. Pain is the signal that our body gives us to warn us that we are being destroyed so that we can change. It is clear to me that Bishop Megan did not want to feel that pain. And perhaps they have had enough trauma in their life or they have other reasons why they were not able to feel that pain coming from this congregation, coming from their staff, coming from the larger church. But to say because they were unable to feel that pain, because they were unwilling to allow themselves to be vulnerable, they could not allow themselves to be in relationship, at least not relationships of love. And it may be that you can replace relationships of love with power, legal power, bureaucratic and institutional power. It might be you can replace relationships with love with that kind of power in a corporation and keep the system running but you can't re replace relationships of love and vulnerability with power in your family and not have it be healthy. You can't replace relationships of love with power in your friendships and have them be healthy. And you can't replace relationships of love with power in the church and keep it healthy. Relationships, they make us vulnerable. And here's the thing, our God exists as relationships. If God existed as a single unitary being separated from all creation and everything else, God couldn't be hurt. But God doesn't exist that way. God exists as relationships between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within that relationship, the Son chooses to enter into relationship fully with humanity, Jesus becomes fully human as well as fully God. And that means within the very heart of who God is, God's existence is defined by relationships with us as people. And on the cross, God is hurt by those relationships. But that pain that God feels by being in relationships with us. That pain allows God to understand the hurt that we feel. It allows God to be present at that wound so that God might bring forth healing that we need. Sometimes we say, ah, I don't want the pain in the relationship. We try to avoid the fight or the conflict. We just bury our head in the sand. But to do that is to miss out on the blessing that can come from that pain, which is to address the harm and bring forth healing in relationships so that they might bring forth the fullness of life. I love our denomination. I love the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I love its radical welcome and proclamation of the gospel. I love that we were willing to elect a trans bishop. I love that we work together around this country that when there was a fire, up in paradise, Paradise Lutheran came and worshiped here with us that when people around the country heard about what we were doing, congregations from Oregon to New York sent us support. I love that 
We have schools and universities and seminaries to educate our children in God's grace to raise up leaders to proclaim that love. I love that in nearly every city in America on Sunday morning, there is a group of Lutherans who are gathering to tell you that God loves you and then serve you coffee and then invite you to serve your neighbor. I love our denomination. But you know who else loves our church? The people of Mission Latina Luterana. In that listening report, after all the pain that it described, it said that the people in that congregation loved the Lutheran church. It describes how the very people who were harmed by Bishop Megan said how excited they were when that bishop was elected, how they bragged to all their friends, our church is willing to elect even a trans bishop because we know God's love has no boundaries. That congregation has been hurt by our denomination. They say, hey, maybe, maybe we can't function in the structure of the church right now if the church doesn't want us. But they still call themselves Lutheran. The institution might have harmed them, but they hold on to that Lutheran heritage with God's grace. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to know their pain so that we can be a part of their healing because we exist in relationship and we exist in relationship with them. Their joy is our joy, but their pain is our pain. That pain allows us to change. Jesus said, I have many more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. And so he sends us the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. Jesus knows that his followers' relationship with him will change over time. And that is a good thing. The relationships we have in our lives, they will change over time. We exist as relationships, but those relationships don't need to be static. It was clear that Pastor Nelson could not safely be the pastor of his congregation, and so Bishop Megan removed him, maybe in the wrong way. It has become clear that Megan can't serve as the bishop of our synod, and so they have received enough pressure that they have resigned. This doesn't mean we don't exist in relationship with them. It means that we understand relationships need to change to address the harm that is being done so that we might love and live more fully. There are changes happening not just the removal of our bishop, but changes are being considered now because of this across our whole denomination. First of all, there's some serious consideration about how we elect bishops. The current way we elect bishops, we get uh, about 300 people in a room. A third of them are pastors, two-thirds are folks from the congregations. They get a list of names, anyone can write down anyone's name. You throw them all in a hat, you take out all the names and you start voting. Who likes this person? Who likes this person? And you tell you narrow it down. But most of the folks, right, imagine, imagine you got a name of like 10 pastors who are not me. And you're like, vote on which one's the best. How are you going to know which one's the best? Well, they'll come up and give a sermon. And so you vote for the one that gives the best sermon, right? Which is why people voted for Bishop Megan. They're on national TV. They've got a huge following on Twitter. But it turns out electing a reality TV star who's always on Twitter does not lead to stable leadership. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not us. But how else are you going to elect it? So maybe there's a better way to elect our bishop. 
But maybe also there's a better way for our synods to relate to each other, for our bishops to relate to each other, to be able to step in before everything implodes, right? To be able to help each other before it's a situation where it's just like, no, it has to end. And most of all, what I'm praying for is that our denomination radically reconsider the ways in which our church plants function. Many of you know that I served a Spanish-speaking congregation in Brooklyn, and I was a church planter. And you may also remember that my ministry there ended because an assistant to the bishop felt the need to hold on to one bureaucratic detail and felt that bureaucratic detail was more important than my relationship with the congregation that I had built over four years. And so I had to leave. To say what happens with Bishop Megan and this congregation, it's not unique. This was just egregious enough that it got people's attention. Disproportionately, congregations of color in our denomination are church plants, which means the local congregation doesn't have power over their life together, the bishop does. And maybe we need to rethink how that works. God exists as relationships. We exist as relationships. Relationships make us vulnerable, but they also give us life. May we not flee from the pain, but look to heal the harm, as Christ has done for us. Amen.